my only experience ever with political campaigns was one Saturday in New Hampshire, where I volunteered to go up with the Harvard Republican Club and knock doors for a day. And it opened my eyes to this new opportunity for where technology and entrepreneurship that we see in El Silicon Valley hadn't really permeated as deeply. I'm Eric Wilson, Managing Partner of Startup Caucus, an investment fund and incubator for Republican campaign technology. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, we bring you into conversation with the entrepreneurs who build best-in-class political businesses, the funders who provide the capital, and the operatives who put it all together to win campaigns. Our guest today is Will Long, who is the co-founder and CEO of Numenar, the world's first artificially intelligent political campaign data platform that actually shows users how to win. Will and his friends started Numenar in 2018 while still at Harvard, and now it's used by campaigns across the country. Numenar was the first investment we ever made with Startup Caucus, and I've had the privilege of working with Will and his team for a few years now. In our conversation, we talk about Will's journey as an entrepreneur carving out a path in politics and lessons that he's learned along the way. Will, I want our listeners to understand that you've done something uncommon. You didn't have any political experience before starting Numenar. You were a a volunteer in the 2016 Rubio for President campaign, but that's about the extent of it. And then you went and built a product, raised money, grew a political network, and now arguably run the most cutting edge political software company in the Republican Party. There wasn't a roadmap or how-to guide for that. So how did you do it? I graduated from Harvard in 2019. I studied computer science there, and I thought that I was going to you know, go into engineering, into Silicon Valley. I had worked in the past at Amazon doing machine vision there and at Palantir doing gov tech work. And my only experience ever with political campaigns was one Saturday in New Hampshire where I volunteered to go up with the Harvard Republican Club and knock doors for a day. I think back to that decision to go, which I almost didn't make, and it sort of opened my eyes to this new opportunity for where I think technology and entrepreneurship that we see in El Silicon Valley hadn't really permeated as, as deeply. Hearing that story about how you got exposed to this world, that just makes me nervous because what you and the team at Numenar have built is so important to the Republican Party, but it almost didn't happen, right? And so I always think to how we met. You went to someone's lecture at Harvard and you spoke to them and they said, hey, you need to talk to Eric Wilson. And if you hadn't gone up, if that person and I didn't know each other, things might not have happened. I don't want to overstate my involvement in your journey here, but it does lay out how just fragile this journey has been. I think not just for you, but for other entrepreneurs, because it is certainly not easy to get into the political space. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Another factor here is the fact that a lot of kids coming out of college, especially in computer science, the only career trajectory they have in mind is going to Silicon Valley. So if I hadn't had this desire and this sort of experience with campaigns and and this want to sort of build something that would solve a problem that I knew existed and sort of take a risk doing that, you know, Numenor also probably wouldn't have shaped out how it has. So I think risk taking uh, is something when we think about how to get more people into political tech, I think risk-taking is definitely an important part of every entrepreneurial journey. 
and risk is always going to be a part of it. But there are things that we can do in the the movement and as an industry to help make that risk not as scary. So thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you now, what has surprised you the most about getting into the business of politics now that you're here? There are a lot of things that are really weird about political campaigns and sort of being in this industry. Campaigns start at a particular time and they end at a particular time. Right. Win, lose, or draw, you are done at 7 p.m. on election day. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's just one way in which this space is so unique. I think one of the things I noticed early on, but which kind of consistently surprises me, is how small this sort of circle of political campaigns, consultants, campaign managers, all of the sort of the circle of people that are involved with campaigns, it's relatively small and it's very sort of, uh, I guess in some ways it can be insular. What I've found is that a lot of these people are very friendly, were very willing to help me out and make introductions for me, especially early on in, in the life cycle of Numenar when we didn't even really have a product. This space is small enough that you know, everyone knows everyone else. And so the importance of the sort of relational side of politics is something that I hadn't expected and that I still get surprised by. You hit on something pretty important, Will, which is that conventional wisdom says that political campaigns are behind the times, they're slow to change, and political consultants don't want to innovate. I think that reputation has been fairly earned by some, but there are a lot who do want to do a good job. You mentioned the insular nature of the industry, but based on your experience, what are some of the causes that hold innovation back in politics? Yeah, I think you're you're right that it's certainly not true that every campaign or even maybe most campaigns are sort of resistant to change. I mean, I think in some ways, like a campaign is a startup. They're getting started from scratch. They have a sort of unique thesis that they're trying to sell to uh, a constituency, and they have a fixed and short amount of time and constrained amount of resources to do that. And so if they don't try new things and try to sort of get any advantage that they can, they're not going to win. So I think in many ways, while a lot of campaigns, especially the ones obviously that we we run across, are very open to sort of new ideas and new ways to approach things. In terms of the sort of, I guess, systemic ways in which the political campaign industry might be sort of resistant to change, I think there's a lot of, and I've encountered this in my pitches with consultants, with campaign managers, with people at the political committees, etc., is there is the skepticism of a lot of the new kinds of technology out there. I think a lot of these people are getting pitched very frequently with everything new under the sun. As with many things, I think there's often a lot of noise and very little signal. So I, I totally get that skepticism, which is often well-earned both in terms of just that there are a lot of companies out there and a lot of services that are all trying to get into these campaigns, but also because new technology can sometimes be... Um, no one uh, wants to go first. Studies. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You want to you watch someone else jump into the pool and then decide if it's safe. So I understand, I think, both of those impulses. Really interesting point about the skepticism, because one of the reasons I started Startup Caucus is to really provide that seal of approval. Because through the process of us investing in these companies, we have to do our due diligence to make sure that the companies are doing what they say they can do and do some technical assessments there. Because we have had instances, right, that people know from Cambridge Analytica and others where someone came in offering what is amounted to snake oil 
right? They they mm-hmm. were uh, taking advantage of, unfortunately, major donors and investors and influencers in the party who didn't know any better. And it ended up causing a lot of problems for the mm-hmm. campaigns that used it. And so I think that that is sort of an original sin for all technology entrepreneurs, right? You still have to answer for that and deal with that skepticism. But I also think that there is this culture of no one's going to criticize you for running the most TV, right? It's when you start to try something new that's risky, that you know, it's better to lose and not take any risks than to uh, take lots of risks and still lose, right? Because th- then, yeah. then it might be your fault instead of just bad politics, bad environment, bad candidate, whatever. So th- that that is, I think, a problem because there's just there's not a lot of evidence based decision making in politics. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Will Long, CEO of Numenar, an AI data platform for campaigns. Well, what's a mistake that you've made building Numenar and what have you learned from it? Like I said, I came to politics and campaigns from a very much an outsider's perspective. And so coming in, we knew that we didn't know anything. And which is, you know, a good way, a good place to be in some ways. It really made us open and receptive to really any and everything that our initial 10 pilot campaigns, God bless them, told us and all the feedback they were giving us in terms of what kinds of tools that they wanted and they needed and they were looking for, what kinds of features, anything really that first summer in in 2019 that our pilot campaigns asked of us, we built because that was our main competitive advantage in our eyes was our ability as engineers to build products quickly, well, and effectively. And so I think we came out of 2019 with a very, very powerful product in that it did a whole lot of different things. You know, we had, we had built in, you know, a single year, you know, the ability for campaigns to call, text, um, email, send direct mail. We had built a Facebook integration and a mobile app all on top of the sort of data platform, CRM, and all of the modeling that we had originally set out to do. So I would say having a set sense of sort of what you want to build and what kind of product thesis you have in terms of, you know, I have this particular product or this particular feature that I think will really help our clients in this particular way, building that out, seeing it fail or succeed, and then building on top of that is really the way to go. And it can often be difficult to have discipline in terms of what you put on your roadmap, especially, like I said, for a team of team of engineers. And so one of the things we did after the end of the 2020 year cycle, uh, where you know we had just finished running 70 campaigns that year, was completely refresh the entire platform. And that's what we've spent a lot of this year doing, actually, is, is sort of building a refreshed V2, if you will, of Numenar, where we focus on the specific set of tools that we thought would make the biggest impact on our campaigns and the ones that they were most likely to use effectively based off of our experience in 2020. And so we actually wrote in a whole end of your report where we detailed exactly how campaigns used all of our tools, uh, which things worked, which things didn't work. And at the end, a, a synthesis of here's the sort of roadmap for where we want to go from there. Will, what signals did you look at that made you realize that you had made a mistake by putting in too many features to the product? Yeah, I think for one, 
you know, there, there are some easy ones. Like, you know, it's difficult to build a lot of things well and, and maintain and support them well. And so we were, we got stretched pretty thin by, you know, a, a, a broad set of uh, feature requests that people had of us. So that was sort of, you know, one initial way. The other obvious one is to just look at usage. Which things did people use and which, which things did they not? For me, I thought a lot of the tools that we were bringing that were new were going to be really flashy and different. So the ability to, to send your own email, your own direct mail, your own Facebook custom audience generation directly through our software were going to be huge hits. And we did get use from them, but not nearly as much as we did our field contact tools and the core sort of CRM and modeling that we had built out. And some things that we built on a whim for some of our campaigns as a sort of favor ended up being hugely successful and valuable. So one of the things we built out was uh, call IVRs, sort of interactive voice recording. So essentially a call survey, a survey you can take over the phone by sort of dialing in your responses to questions. So we built out the ability for people to come into our software, build their own survey, and then send it out as an automatically generated call and text survey to voters. And that ended up being something that polling company decided to take up and run all of their polling through. And so there were some unexpected things that blew up and some things which I thought would blow up that didn't. So all of that kind of factors in as well. And then quickly, the last thing that we looked at uh, in our end of year report, which people can still find on our website if they're interested, was just looking at the data looking at which things cause a movement in voters and which outreach tools, which ways of framing our messaging didn't work as well. And this is one of the benefits of having all of this data put together is that we can analyze it, we can do the impact analysis and say, here are the things that we were building that really work and just focus on those. That's really fascinating because we always deal with this tension in building political technology, right? Where you need to solve problems that people have right now, or you're never going to get adoption. But you also have a vision as an innovator and an entrepreneur of where you want to bring your users. And so it is kind of this pull and tug. I think our listeners who may be familiar with the innovators dilemma and that gap from your early adopters to the mainstream users, it is a huge gulf in politics because the early adopters, tiny. Right. We, we know who mm-hmm. the, the people who are willing to be guinea pigs for new technology are. And it takes a little bit of work to get them in and they have the ideas of what they want. And so it, it I always am reminded of the, the Henry Ford quote that if I asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. And, <laughs> and so it is tough. So I think it's important for our industry as a whole to just look at what are the signals? What are the data that we're getting from our own users? Yeah. And one thing I'll add in there is. I think that's one of the sort of conscious, I guess, one way to put it is compromises that we made or the outset was we knew that some of the things we were trying to introduce to the space, the the machine learning, the idea that we could take the campaign data that campaigns were generating, their field data, their their polling data, their voter data, and use it to generate and train sort of models that would help them in a way that was previously out of grasp for local and down ballot races. The machine learning we thought was very new and probably wouldn't get adoption without some more basic products that people already were familiar with and knew were valuable. So that's actually why we built out the sort of CRM and the basic voter contact tools, you're calling, you're texting, you're canvassing, 
even though the core of what we wanted to introduce was the machine learning, selling something that also included things that people conventionally found valuable and were willing to pay for, I think was actually a really good decision we made early on. You mentioned this earlier, but you've recruited a really talented team. And so what is your assessment, Will, of the professional or career trajectory for a technologist in politics? I think there are a lot of really talented young people who are interested in working in politics and a lot of technical ones, uh, people who are have engineering backgrounds who want to build political tech specifically. I think there hasn't historically been a good career path or a good ecosystem, I suppose, of companies and missions that these people could go to. And I would count myself as, as one of those people. But I'm hoping that part of the ethos of building Numenar is that we can be a place where those kinds of people can go and still build technology that they're very excited about and very passionate about that's cutting edge for a mission that they believe in and do it with other people who they enjoy working with and understand and sort of have that same Silicon Valley feel to it. What do you think we can do as a, a movement to attract more of these entrepreneurs and technologists, you know, because we certainly can't compete on the money, right? Because there are no unicorns in the political industry. Um, right. Is it the mission? Is it the impact? What is the way that we attract more people to this opportunity? I think I wouldn't underestimate the sort of mission component of what we do, really leaning into the fact that we are supporting and enabling candidates and ideas and causes that are, we believe, fundamental and, and crucial to helping win in order to promote continuance and flourishing of our country. And I think a lot of young people are very passionate about that project. And so I think there's a lot to be said for just giving people a venue to sort of express that mission alignment, that passion. Tactically, I think the right of center is doing a lot of things well to encourage sort of entrepreneurship in the space, even from doing things like just making the voter data accessible and available for people who want to help support campaigns. That's something that if there were a slightly different policy there, Numenar wouldn't have been possible. And so doing some things like having a more open data ecosystem, have existing incumbent technology players in the space support and, and integrate and collaborate with people who want to enter the ecosystem. I think there are some structural things we can do like that. Uh, a lot of the work you're doing, Eric, all of that can, can really add up and I think give people opportunities to get involved in a space that they might not otherwise have. The more I study this problem, the more I look at it is two cultures mixing and coming into conflict with each other. And there's resolution. So I, the, the image I just always have is, you know, two rivers coming together, right? One One's muddy and one's clear. You can see the very bright dividing line. And so in politics, there is a competitive zero-sum mentality, right? Because in order for us to win, someone else has to lose. That is not necessarily conducive to a technology culture, an innovation culture, an entrepreneurial culture where we believe that rising tides lift all boats. And so I think there's a little bit of culture shock that we need to work through. But that's a really important observation of doing more to even just signal welcome to folks. So for the folks who are listening, who are interested in breaking into politics with a company of their own or working at a startup like yours, what actionable advice would you give them on how to get started? 
doing a little bit of what I did at the outset, <laughs> which is just talking to as many people as you can early on. We just tried to interview as many campaign managers, consultants, field directors, data people, anyone who we could who'd be willing to sit down and talk to us about how this space works. There's so much to learn. It's mind-boggling to think about. But people are very friendly and very willing to share with you their journeys and frustrations and issues they have in their work. And getting that perspective from our experience, people across the industry, uh, really at the outset, even from both sides of the aisle, who would just share with us, you know, the state of play, essentially. And those people also introduce you to other folks in the space they think you should talk to. And that's how you and I got connected, Eric. People are very friendly, very willing to help out. And so I think just really talking to folks, being open to seeing where the opportunities are, and then getting the right support from people in the space to be able to make the next step. I think that was the way that everything started off for us. And I think continues to be the source of our, our continued growth. I want to thank Will Long for joining us on today's conversation. We'll talk to him again in the future because Numenar is growing and they're on quite a journey. So we want to check back in with them in the future. If you want to learn more about Numenar, go to Numenar.com. That's also linked in our show notes. You can read the white papers, the case studies, the reports, and book a demo if you're so inclined. And with that, I want to say thank you again to Will. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you listen to podcasts. And I would ask you to share this episode with a friend if it made you smarter. And with that, thank you for listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm Eric Wilson.